0: Philemon, as we wrap up our series that we've been in for about a year now or so, uh, Letters from Prison, as we've been going through um, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians and now Philemon wrapping up the Letters from Prison. And uh, it's just been a great series. I'm glad it hasn't been self-fulfilling prophecy in any way. And uh, we were there on some sketchy ground at times. Wondering if I'd be able to finish this series, but here we are. We're all good. So, um, so Philemon, the book of Philemon, and and a warm welcome to Elizabeth Johnson, who's back with us from Rwanda. Just got in this week. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Elizabeth's in the back. So, we're excited to have Paul and Elizabeth here for um, a short time from Rwanda. Missionaries there, and we're going to have them share in an upcoming service. And they're going to take sort of share about what's going on in Rwanda. And, share God's Word with us too, so we're looking forward to hearing from them soon. Um, But today, yeah, Philemon and the letter to Philemon is a very unique one for us. It's a unique one in Scripture because it's a very personal letter that Paul is writing, unlike his other letters that he oftentimes wrote with real instructions, you know, to the church, and even some of his other personal letters like Titus and Timothy even though those were written to you know a kind of a personal level to individuals it was also written with instruction to the the church in general that no doubt would have been read out but here's a letter that Paul is writing without I think the intent to this ever getting out to the masses and ever being read on a Sunday morning like we're doing here today it's kind of interesting to have that kind of perspective into a very personal letter that was being written in that day it's kind of like if you were you know writing a, a note to somebody in class and you're passing that note on right to somebody. you want to it, maybe it's a crush you've got and you're passing that note to somebody you don't want anybody to read and also it gets intercepted and somebody opens up you're like no don't read that that's not for you it's got personal material in there I put some hearts in there even like don't read that so embarrassing I like is that ever happened anybody I don't know don't you don't need to confess that but I know it's happened to some of you in the back there I know but nowadays it's all texting nowadays it's all just texting and and even then it's still tricky I've texted things to thinking it was my wife and I texted like the wrong person and it's like, oh man that's not good right that's not good but maybe you've been there and, and so this is like Paul's situation now is that personal letter but here we are reading it and, and it's there for a reason it's put in God's word because we do have a lot that we can learn from this and benefit from as a result now what's the background to this letter what's this all about well this is being written to Philemon and Philemon is a man that lived in Colossae he was most likely a fairly wealthy man we're, we're going to see that he owned slaves and one of them was a man named Onesimus Philemon became a Christian through Paul's ministry. We don't know exactly how that came about. Perhaps when Paul was in Ephesus and ministering there for a very extended period of time, three and a half years. It's believed that Philemon living in Colossus would have traveled down to Ephesus and maybe, you know, was ministered to by Paul there. Went back to Colossus. We know that happened with Epaphras as he was the man that got saved by Paul, or at least encouraged by Paul to plant the church in Colossus. Paul had never been to Colossus. And yet here we see just a, a, a thriving community of believers there, and Philemon being one of them. But he's got this slave by the name of Onesimus, who's going to become you know a, a real key character in this letter and in our, in our account here today. But Onesimus, we don't know why exactly, but he decides to flee the coop. He runs away. Perhaps he's looking at Philemon going, okay, this guy's just gotten saved. He's now walking in this newfound grace. Maybe this is my shot. Maybe this is my window to get away and to move on and to just exercise my own freedom now. So what Onesimus does is he leaves Philemon and he runs to Rome, this metropolis of Rome where he's thinking he can just kind of fade into the background. He can just live in anonymity there now in Rome and just be a free person. But I think what Onesimus was beginning to see and realize as he moves to Rome is that though there are millions of people all around him living as free, I think he was beginning to see that there's a lot of people in bondage. Because Rome, you see, was the city of excess and debauchery. This was Kind of like you know sin city here, the original sin city. People were living it up there and yet what Onesimus most likely was seeing was that there are a lot of people just in bondage to sin. Sin becomes a very heavy task master if that is what is driving your life and we easily become enslaved to these things. And Onesimus was seeing though I might have been running to find freedom, I'm not seeing any of this around me. There's something lacking and it's true there's something lacking you see the issue is not about finding freedom by loosing yourself from all restraints or all rules freedom comes by finding the right master i think bob dylan you could say said it rightly and maybe the only time that you'll quote bob dylan in church but he said you're going to have to serve somebody it might be the devil or it might be the lord but you're gonna have to serve somebody. The question is, who are you serving today? Are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ who becomes for us a good and gracious master? Or are you living enslaved to sin and remaining in bondage? The key is not finding freedom by running away, it's finding the right master. And Onesimus is a man that now came to find The right master because as Onesimus runs to Rome, amazingly, wonderfully, he comes across Paul. I mean you just see the Lord's guiding in all of this. As Onesimus ends up meeting up with Paul and Onesimus gets saved. Onesimus gives his life to the Lord and now he's experiencing what true freedom is really like. But this now generated a bit of an issue in regards to Onesimus And Philemon because Onesimus legally belonged to Philemon back in Colossus and an owner had a right to execute a runaway slave owners in this day and slavery in this day just carried with it real harsh repercussions and owners would oftentimes treat their slaves you know worse than they would their own animals so Paul's looking at the situation going Onesimus we need to make things right with Philemon you've run away from you, you've moved out of your obligation here, it's time to make things right. Now, some have been very critical of the Bible, thinking that, you know, slavery is just a result of, you know, Christianity and what the Bible has promoted, it's promoted slavery and so that's the problem with what we've seen in the world and, and people are looking to, to go back and kind of even rewrite history now and the whole cause of slavery and people will look at this and be critical, Paul, go, Paul, how come you didn't look to speak out on the abolishment of slavery here? It almost seems like you're kind of advocating it here, but it's important that we look at kind of the the culture and have a bit of understanding as to what was going on in these times. Because here in this time, the entire culture and society was built upon the institution of slavery. This was not God's order or design. This was just a result of a a fallen world and sin, And, and in Rome, there was believed to be about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire in the Roman Empire 60 million slaves that's a, a whole lot of people there were some cities where the slaves outnumbered the free people and so what would happen is that because of that well a lot of owners wanted to really kind of you know have that upper hand over slaves they would treat them unfairly oftentimes, and uh, slaves were just simply seen as, as property A slave could be killed by the owner for almost anything, and certainly, like I said, a runaway would most likely face that kind of punishment. But if they were returned and were valuable enough to be kept, the owner would brand that runaway slave with an F on the forehead for fugitivist, meaning runaway. So so many slaves, some masters, like I said, treat their slaves brutally to keep them in fear of ever turning on them, just like Pharaoh did with the Israelites in Egypt but then there were some slaves that were treated very well they were almost brought in like family and some slaves were, were functioning in very you know significant roles over a household and having people under them that they were leading as well so not all slaves were treated poorly some slaves sold themselves into slavery to pay off a debt it was kind of like just entering into the workforce to pay off a debt essentially so understand if Paul came in now And he begins to say, okay, any of you that were living as a slave that got saved now and you're in Christ, well, you just go ahead and leave your master. You have no business being a a slave any longer. You can just go ahead and run away and leave them. And you've got a new life now in Christ. If Paul began to promote that, that would be at at great potential harm now to the slaves and in the way that the owners would respond. It also give kind of Christianity a black eye in the society in that day in having people leaving just those responsibilities and roles that they were obligated and, and lawfully to keep there. So here's what God does. God does it as a different way. He says, okay, Well, this is a a condition of society, unfortunately, a a fallout of sin. But I want to see people living in different relationships now for those that have come to the Lord and found new life in Christ. So the Bible seeks to promote and show a proper relationship now between the slave and his master. In fact, showing that we are all one in Christ, that we're one family now. Though there may be differing relationships, how we conduct ourselves in those relationships are meant to bring honor and glory to Christ. That's what Paul writes about in in Ephesians chapter six, in Colossians chapter three, and into chapter four, verse one, Paul is seeking to give proper parameters for the roles and the relationships between slaves and masters. And and the equivalent today would be between employers and employees. So Paul says in Colossians three twenty two, bondservants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh not with eye service as men pleasers but in sincerity of heart fearing God and whatever you do do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So slaves you've got a a new way to live within that relationship. You don't have to seek to get out of it. You can live differently in it and live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. But then he also says to masters in Colossians 4 verse 1. Masters give your bond servants what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And that's the way for masters now to look at themselves to go, oh, I'm not the ones that just get to um, you know, give absolute power or authority. I myself am in submission to my Heavenly Father and I got to act accordingly. I am under authority just as I seek to give authority here. And so there's to be a, a whole new kind of relationship dynamic among Christians within that role. And again, never God's intent for that but God seeks to bring in a a different mindset and perspective in those things that ultimately bring praise and glory to God that will eventually see the the whole dynamic of slavery begin to fade out because of the work of Christians now in society. So that's a little background to the letter. Let's get into it now and look at what Paul is addressing here because he's, he's writing to Philemon to say, okay Philemon, I found Onesimus. Pretty amazing, but there's some reconciliation that's needed between the two of you, so I'm going to be sending it back. That's where we're going here in this letter. So Paul says to Philemon, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So Paul is writing now, and again, he doesn't use this term, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, as some kind of, you know, way that he's trying to give himself a title, like, I've just been serving the Lord in ministry, and I've just committed my all to the Lord, and it's been hard. No, he's not saying this is some kind of, like, you know, title uh, of his ministry. He's like, no, I'm literally a prisoner of the Lord. That's why these are Prison Epistles. He's writing from a prison in Rome and he's sharing these things now with Philemon. But I love Paul because here's a guy sitting in prison, and yet he's never writing with, you know, just this kind of self-pity or woe is me. He's he's always kind of looking at others. He's very others-focused, and he's seeking to, you know, just glorify God right where he is. He sees that every situation he's in is an opportunity for him to be used of God. I mean, just imagine, I can just imagine Paul sitting there in prison going, okay, Lord, not sure what you got for me today, but here I am, and I know you can still work in me and use me. And then suddenly this man shows up, starts talking to this guy, and Paul's like, hey, what did you say your name was? Onesimus? And you're a slave? Where are you from? From Colossus. Interesting, who would you say your slave owner is? Or your, your master is? Philemon? What? I know Philemon. I led Philemon to the Lord. This is amazing. I can just imagine Paul's just, you know, mind being blown at the reality that, like, of all the places that Onesimus shows up, he shows up there with Paul in that prison in Rome, escaping from clost, miles and thousands of miles away. I mean, Paul's just realizing the reality that wherever he is, whatever situation he's in, whatever circumstances are, God is at work. And God is able to work through him and use him. And it's such a great perspective to have is not it? even in our own lives, no matter what you're going through, what you're encountering day to day, what circumstances you find yourself in, God is there with you. And God wants to use you right in in those situations to bring glory and praise to him. And Paul is seeing that unfolding here in his situation. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, but also he addresses Aphia and Archippus. Now, Aphia is believed to be Philemon's wife and Archippus is believed to be their son. You'll remember Archippus was mentioned at the end of Colossians, we talked about him last week, where Archippus was believed to be the new leader or pastor of the church in Colossus. Epaphras was the founding pastor. Epaphras goes to Rome to visit Paul, share with him all the things that are going on at the church in Colossus, heresy coming in, false teachers, He's seeking input from Paul, Paul writes a letter back to Colossus, but Epaphras in that time ends up being now a prisoner with Paul in Rome. So Archippus is believed to take over the church there, remember Paul in Colossians says, take heed to the ministry that you might fulfill it. And so there's Archippus and he's leading this church that's meeting now in the house of Philemon, who's most likely a wealthy man, he's opening his home, he's being hospitable, and a church community was gathering in their home as was very common, in the early church when they didn't have large buildings and, and in fact, they need to kind of oftentimes meet very secretly and under the radar Sometimes they were kind of going against, you know, governing restrictions and laws and things. That's why we have blinds drawn here, but, you know, you get the idea. So, you know, they were meeting in that way just to kind of, you know, stay safe and and quiet. They're meeting in homes here and, and Philemon is the host here. Archippus leading it. And then Paul says in verse 3, I love this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's most common greeting that he gave in all of his epistles. He would always, you know, give that greeting of grace and peace. And you always find it in that order. Now, grace is the Greek term, or the Greek greeting, charis. Again, grace, just, you know, finding that Favor and blessing upon a person's life. Uh, Peace was the Hebrew common greeting, shalom. So he says charis in the Greek, shalom in Hebrew, and may just you have that favor and everything to your highest good is what they would say. But like I said, you'll always see it in that order. Grace and then peace and not the other way around. They're like the Siamese twins of scriptures. Why are they in that order? I think Paul very fittingly puts it that way because you will not know the peace of God until you come to know the grace of God of God. Grace is that unmerited favor of God. It's getting what we don't deserve. What did we not deserve? We didn't deserve to be saved. We didn't deserve to receive the blessing and the love of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us voluntarily. He put himself in our place that we might be forgiven of sin. We are saved by his grace. It's not by our works and we oftentimes begin to kind of fall into that category sometimes of feeling like I've got to earn my favor with God. It can't be that easy, can it, that he's done it all, it's a free gift, can it really be that easy? And we struggle with it, we wrestle with it. We know what it's like when somebody gives you something freely and right away you feel like, I gotta now give something back to these people. I gotta return the favor. I can't now, oh man, they, they gave me a, a card with a gift card, now I gotta return the favor. Oh man, sometimes you feel like now we're obligated to do it. We have a hard time with just accepting things freely don't we i struggle with that help me with it please keep trying to work on me and receiving (laughs) receiving anything free i'm working on it but but we do that in our in our life with christ where we go can it really be this easy did he really do it all for me that i don't need to do anything to gain that favor or earn that salvation and we we sometimes fall prey to thinking i've got to work for it have got to earn it oh have i done enough today god will you really accept me now? and i talk to many christians who feel like you know well i i hope i'm going to heaven and there's no assurance because they're thinking it's depending on them and it depends nothing on you it depends simply on you putting your faith in jesus he's done it all for you and when you understand that grace of god then you can rest In the assurance that you are in Him and you are safe and secure and you're saved and that brings great peace now in your life I can put my head down at night on my pillow and rest in great peace knowing that I've not done anything today to forfeit my salvation because my salvation was never dependent on what I've done or not done it's dependent upon my faith in Christ and my my being in Him That's it. And when you have that grace and know that grace, you have the blessed peace of God. I hope you're experiencing that peace of God today. As Paul always says, grace and peace. That's why grace and peace are always in that order. When grace is realized, peace will be materialized in your life. Verse 4 says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now here's Paul again in prison, but yet He's not wallowing in self-pity. He's, he's going, man, I thank the Lord, Philemon, for you. And the example that you've been, the blessing that you are. Every time Paul prayed, he's not consumed with, Lord, get me out of here. He's thinking he's about others. And he's just saying, thank you, God, for Philemon. Thank you for the blessing that he's been, not just in my life, but to many lives as he's heard about his love and his faith, that he's had not only toward the Lord Jesus, but that he's also had toward all the saints. And again, we sometimes confuse that word saints as thinking that a saint is one of those people that's kind of you know progressed to the upper echelons of, of deep spirituality, you know, saints. But a saint is simply one that's set apart for Christ. When you've given your life to Jesus, you set yourself apart to Christ. Thus, you've become a saint. You are sitting in a room full of saints here today. That's pretty amazing. And, and here's the thing is that Paul says Philemon you didn't have a love for some of the saints (laughs) you had a love for all the saints it's easy to love certain people isn't it there are some people that you just go these people are just so easy to love and there's other people well you know (laughs) (laughs) and yet Paul comes along he says Philemon you've had a love for all the saints and I pray that's something that fills our hearts because understand something as we begin to grow in the love of God, and we understand the love that Jesus has shown to us, again, when we least deserved it. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it, but yet we've been showered. We've been blessed with an, an, an incredible love. And I pray as we grow in that love of Jesus that we'll begin to show that love for one another, that we'll begin to see, I can love, even though there's those that make it hard to love them, they're in you, Jesus. They're saints. They're in Christ. They're family. They're my brothers and my sisters. And because of you, God, I want to walk in love for them. Biblical love is not conditioned upon what others are doing or, or how they're responding to you. Biblical love is, is unconditional love, a gap love. It's unconditional. It's not about what others have done. It's about you simply living that sacrificial love that says, I'm going to love those people. Plain and simple. And and especially all the more when you realize we're together in Christ. We're saints. We're we're family together. May we be a church that's known by love for all the saints together. Philemon was such a person. And then Paul says, verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So Paul continues to pray that Philemon's life of ongoing witnessing and sharing would increase all the more as he realizes every good thing that he has in Christ. That it may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Do you know how good God has been to you? Do you know how rich we are in and through Jesus Christ that he has loved us that he has saved us forgiven us of our sin that he's preparing a place for us that where he is we might be also we have a blessed hope in him we have much to be thankful for we have much to rejoice in i've often said you know the lord doesn't need to do another thing for me i could live every day of my life now in complete misery i pray that that doesn't please pray that doesn't happen i don't i'm not looking for that don't let this be like self-fulfilling but Every day could be a day of misery, and yet every day I can wake up giving thanks because of who Jesus is and what He has done for me. He doesn't need to do another thing for me because He's already done everything for me in saving me and giving me life in Him, hope in heaven. This, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're not looking for comfort here. We're awaiting the, the riches of, of heaven, our great inheritance that will not spoil, and I'm thankful for that, so I have reason. You have reason every day to be thankful, and the more that we realize what we have in Christ, what He's done for us, it, it gives us cause to just share that with other people, that we don't have to be walking around in misery like a bunch of Eeyores. Ooh. Another gloomy day. (laughs) You know, like we sometimes are like that. And look at what Paul says about about Philemon. He says, man, I I have great joy and consolation in verse 7 in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. See, Philemon lived a way where he wasn't like Eeyore. He was like Tigger. He's just bouncing around going, Woohoo! Life is good. I have much in Christ. I am blessed. And he came along and he refreshed people's hearts. You know what that's like when you have people come your way and it's like they just give that kind of charge to that like spiritual battery. They just charge you up just having a conversation with them. They're just so full of Jesus, so full of joy that you just love hanging out with them because it's like, I was kind of feeling low, but I can't help but feel like lifted up and encouraged and excited now just having been around that person. And then there are those that come along and they go the opposite. They kind of drain that spiritual battery, they're just sucking the life out of you sometimes. But again, I pray that we would be those. That recognize what we have in Christ, all that He's done for us, and that daily we'd be filled with thanks and joy, and that as we're going about our business day-to-day in the world, that people are seeing that in us, that there's a joy. There's, there's something resonating in us that people are going, man, what causes you to, to tick that way? That is Jesus, and that we would just come alongside and refresh people around us like Philemon was doing to many. Well, verse 8 gets to kind of the heart of the matter here. and Paul writes in verse 8, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, Paul had the right, as an apostle, to kind of command Philemon what to do. He could have said, Philemon, listen, here's what I need you to do. I got Onesimus. I'm going to send him back. I need you to receive him. I need you to just kind of buck up. And to, you know, be Christ-like now and to receive this man. But Paul doesn't do He doesn't want to play the apostle card. He doesn't want Philemon's hand to be forced. He wants Philemon to do this now out of love. Out of love. And, and to receive Onesimus in not not by obligation or compulsion, but voluntarily, out of love. And Paul says, and also if I could just appeal. Based on my age, you know, Paul, the age one. And Paul was only like about 55 to 60 years old at this time. And a lot of us are going, that's not old. What are you talking about? But, but when you look at, you know, life expectancy rate in this day, you look at all that Paul's already been through stonings, beatings, shipwrecks. I mean, this guy, you know, could have looked like he was about 100 years old from just his life experience. So he's like, man, I'm, I'm an Asian. I, I, I appeal to you based on just kind of what I've been through that you would take heart in this matter now, Philemon. And so he says in verse 10, and this is where he really drops the bombshell now. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I begotten while in my chains. See, at this point, Philemon could have been reading this letter thinking, man, Paul's been especially kind and flattering. Where is he going with this what is he really wanting what's he is there some kind of like some now he's going to bring in some kind of ulterior motive to this letter what's going on and now suddenly philemon sees on paper or papyrus the the name onesimus the renegade the runaway slave philemon is hit with where things are going but something's different now because he realizes paul's calling him his son he's begotten and changed. This is not, Onesimus was not related to Paul. This is not a biological son to Paul. Paul is referencing that he's led Onesimus to the Lord. He's begotten him in this new life in Christ now. He is now a believer and Philemon is recognizing Onesimus has become a Christian. I could just imagine Philemon's mind at this point, perhaps instantly hit with just, anger at seeing onesimus but then thinking through the story what onesimus has gotten what how did i'm sure onesimus is kind of looking at the big picture going wait a second onesimus left me left cloth travels thousands of miles ends up in rome and and not just ends up in rome but he ends up before paul of all people god you are too amazing you are too good this is no mere coincidence and Coincidence is not a a Jewish kosher word, and it should not be for us because we have to recognize God's handiwork. God's orchestrating all things behind the scenes. We saw that so fittingly as we were studying through Genesis on Wednesdays with the life of Joseph. How everything that happened in Joseph's life could have been a reason to say, God, how could you? But it ended up being a cause to say, God, I see what you're doing. All praise to you god you were working on things in ways that i never could have imagined and he's doing so with onesimus and paul he's in control and he's leading all things together for his purposes and his glory amazing and philemon is seeing this and paul says in verse 7 onesimus was once unprofitable to you but now is profitable to you and to me and paul's using a little play on words here he says he wasn't profitable to you because the name onesimus means profitable it means useful. That's what his name means. So Paul's kind of playing a bit on, on the, the meaning of his, of his name here. And Paul's indicating Onesimus may have been very unprofitable to you, but now he's suddenly become very profitable. He's become a believer. He's a Christian. He's profitable not only to you, but for me as well. I think that's the, the change and the transformation that Jesus brings all of us. I think all of us could be those that have thought at one point, can I really be useful? Can I really be profitable for the Lord? Do I really have anything to offer? And when we give our life to Jesus, again, He makes all things new. He transforms lives. He doesn't save us just to shelf us as little trophies of His. He saves us to use us. And anybody that's surrendered to the Lord is able to be useful and profitable. In the hands of our good and gracious Master. He'll work in us, and he'll use us for his glory if we allow him to do so. And that was Onesimus now. Onesimus is no longer Onesimus by name, he was now Onesimus by nature. He's born again, a new believer, new life in Christ. And he's experiencing that. And Paul is seeing the blessing of that new life now. He says in verse 12, I'm I'm sending him back. You therefore receive, and that is my own heart whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel but without your consent I wanted to do nothing that your deed might not be by compulsion as it were but voluntary so Paul knew the right thing to do was to send Onesimus back to Philemon Onesimus had to make things right now with his master Philemon Paul would love you know to keep him around and have Onesimus continued to be a blessing to him in prison but Paul knows that the, the better thing to do is to see this reconciliation between these two individuals and so Paul sends him back and in doing so it, it would be just as, as if um, you know or if Philemon was going to send Onesimus back it would be just to that ministry of Paul again. Now if Paul told Philemon he was keeping Onesimus then Philemon would you know have to kind of go along with it he'd have no choice but he could do it with great resentment and it wouldn't be down out of love it would it would be by compulsion and it would have robbed philemon of the beauty of this act of kindness and robbed him of any reward so paul says i'm sending him back you do what you know is right ultimately and then paul says in verse 15 for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose Prophecies for this very purpose what purpose the purpose of him getting saved Onesimus I'm sure had ulterior motive I'm sure Onesimus didn't leave going well I'm gonna just head to Rome and find Jesus that wasn't Onesimus the tent but again we see the the program and the purposes of God that are unfolding behind the scenes in ways that we don't realize and again you might be experiencing something in your life going through a, a situation or circumstance that You don't know right now what the purpose of it is. That's why we remain faithful to the Lord. We keep trusting the Lord. We don't give up on what his plans are because his purposes ultimately prevail. And Paul says, man, perhaps he departed for this very purpose of just him getting saved and him coming back to you now, and that you might receive him forever. And, And again, no longer as a slave, verse 16, but more than a slave a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord Paul saying oh Philemon you, you can receive him back no not as a slave but as a brother you can begin to experience a greater deeper relationship with this man one that's going to be even a greater blessing to the both of you now verse 17 if then you count me as a partner receive him as you would me But if he has wronged you or owes anything put that on my account i paul am writing with my own hand i will repay not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides now here's paul i love paul finally we're seeing a little bit of humanity in paul right because all along this letter he's kind of been saying listen follow him and i'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do i'm not going to force you to do this i want you to do this out of love but now paul kind of plays the card of saying listen just just as a reminder, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have known Jesus and you'd be going to hell. Listen, I'm not trying to hold that against you. Don't let it influence your decision. But just in case you forgot, you'd be going to hell if it wasn't for me. But you you do what you feel you need to do. And Paul just can't help himself, right? He's human. He can't help himself. I'm thankful that we're dealing with humans in God's word here that aren't always Perfect, but he's just again seeking a plea with Philemon to do the right thing but here's what Paul says and this is powerful stuff here Paul says there in verse 18 but if he's wronged you or owes you anything and it's believed that Philemon not just left or sorry that Onesimus not just left Philemon but that he stole from him that he took something from Philemon and he and he runs away with these goods that didn't belong to him so Paul's saying listen if he owes you anything put that on my account Paul basically stands in the place of Onesimus and asks Philemon to receive him as he would Paul himself. And Paul's vouching for Onesimus. And not only that, he's willing to pay back anything that Onesimus owes. You see, this is right here a great depiction and illustration of exactly what Jesus has done for us. Because we had a debt that we could not pay. We were sinners and the debt Of sin was death you and I deserved death that's what we owed because of sin but Christ stepped in and he took our place and he paid that debt for us when he died on a cross he paid the penalty of that of that sin every sin that you have committed every sin you'll commit he paid the penalty for that he took that debt upon himself when he died on the cross he said it is finished or tetelestai meaning it's paid in full Jesus saw what you owed and he says I'm going to pay that in full through my death through my sacrifice he stood in our place and not only stands in our place but now when he died he took all of our sin upon him but exchanged that now for his righteousness he gives us his righteousness by which now he brings us to the father reconciled in and through Jesus Christ Amazing work that Jesus has done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He "He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Ray Steadman says, isn't that wonderful? This is grace. You have the doctrine of acceptance and the doctrine of substitution wonderfully portrayed here in this little letter. God receives us in the person of another. We were like Onesimus. We are slaves. We merit nothing. We have done things that are wrong. We stand before God who is righteous and holy, and yet the Lord Jesus says, If he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I will pay it. That's what Paul says here. And this is exactly what Christ has done for us, my friends. We are so blessed today. Martin Luther said in his commentary, we are all his Onesimai. We were all in that place where we were slaves to sin, looking for freedom, finding that in Christ, and only finding that in and through Christ and through the work he did to indeed set us free, to atone for our sin, and to bring us into new life in him. We are all his Onesimai. Paul goes on to saying, verse twenty, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart now in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul had full confidence in Philemon that he would do the right thing. He's already refreshed the hearts of many of the saints, and now Paul is seeking for Philemon to refresh his heart in acting accordingly and acting rightly in receiving Onesimus to him. And perhaps that Philemon would not only accept Onesimus back and forgive him, but that he would send Onesimus back to minister to Paul once more. And now we see Paul's farewell in verse 22, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Paul saw the value and the importance of prayer. He says, man, I'm hoping to get to Colossus. I've never been there. I want to get to Colossus. Prepare a room for me, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping through your prayers, the power of prayer that, that I'm going to get there, that I will, I will find a way in and through the Lord to, to make it to Colossus. And so he's praying for that. He wants to be with them, and he, and he closes again, mentioning these people that we talked about last week at the end of Colossians, Epaphras, verse 23, my fellow prisoner Christ Jesus, here's the founder, pastor of the church in class. now with Paul as a fellow prisoner. He greets them, of course, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, his fellow laborers, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So Paul, again, he ends with grace. Everything begins with grace, continues in grace, and ends in grace. We're thankful for the grace of the Lord. Worship team, if you would come up at this time. But as we're getting ready, we need to ask ourselves, how does the story end? Oh, there's a lot of conjecture we can make. Did, Did Philemon receive Onesimus back? What was their relationship like? Did Onesimus return to Paul? Well, William Barclay records, let us move on. Now, 50 years, Ignatius, one of the great Christian martyrs, is being taken to execution from Antioch to Rome. And as he goes, he writes letters which still survive. Writes to the churches of Asia Minor. He stops at Smyrna, and there he writes to the church at Ephesus. And in the first chapter of that letter, he has much to say about the wonderful bishop of Ephesus. And what is that bishop's name? It is Onesimus. And Ignatius makes exactly the same pun as Paul made, that he is Onesimus by name, and he is Onesimus by name by nature, the profitable one to Christ. It may well be that this runaway slave has become, with the passing years, the great Bishop of Ephesus. Kent Hughes goes on to say, think of what God did to secure Onesimus's reconciliation. Paul alluded to it in verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was for this very purpose, that you might have him back for good. Paul recognized that Philemon's Whole story was ultimately woven by God's grace. Part of the plan for bringing Onesimus to himself much as Joseph being sold to Egypt into slavery was to bring about the salvation of his own family. The more we study the story the more we see that it transcends chance. Onesimus fled the length of the world to escape his master and lose himself in the bowels of Rome only to meet the very man to whom his very own master owed his spiritual life to and thus how Onesimus found spiritual life himself, how he must have marveled at God's tapestry. The most confused, twisted life can ultimately come to be seen as the marvelous tapestry of God's grace. The evil that you did or has been done to you can be turned into the very thing that brings you to Christ or brings others to Christ. Onesimus is indeed profitable, for from his life we learn the anatomy of reconciliation. Praise the Lord for all that He has done for us and through us. May He continue on that work of reconciling that we might be ministers of reconciliation. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to close with a song. But if you're here today or you're watching online, you today have heard the gospel. You've heard the good news of what Jesus has done for us, knowing that we could not be right with God simply by our own means we needed help we needed a savior and that savior is jesus christ he came to this world to die on a cross he was fully man yet fully god and that sacrifice meant something because he was fully god he could identify with us but he could lead us to god he died in our place he bore the penalty for our sin that we wouldn't have to do that he died he rose again that by us simply putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of sin, and we can be saved. We can have new life in Him. If you have not put your trust in Jesus today, and you're not sure of your own assurance of salvation and going to heaven one day, that can change today in a heartbeat by simply acknowledging your sin, and turning from it, and turning to Jesus, and putting your trust in Him. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that today? All you need to pray a simple prayer. Lord, I acknowledge my sin, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of help. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come and be my Lord and my Savior. And if you pray that prayer from your heart with trust in what Jesus has done for you, you become what the Bible says, born again. Become a new creation. Old things passed away, but all things have become new. Would you do that today if you've never done that? I invite you in to experience life in Jesus, the only way to the Father. If you've done that, if you're here today, come and talk to me after the service. I'd love to share more with you. If you've done that online, email the church because we want to get something in your hands to help you and encourage you in this new life in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the work you've done in our lives, God, for who you are, for salvation you brought us, for reconciling us to our heavenly father, our creator, by which we can have now, not just life now, but life eternal. We're blessed because of that. May we continue to walk Lord, in your grace, and just reveal that reconciling work to others as we seek to refresh others and love all the saints, Lord, and those in the world, too, just to seek to lead them to you, Jesus. Lord, may you do that work in us and through us. Use us, Lord. May we be profitable and fruitful for your work, just as Onesimus was. We ask now in your name. Amen.